Well, our scripture reading this morning is Acts 14, 19 to 28. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. This is God's word. Good morning, First of Ann. It's a joy to be back with you guys. As Ken mentioned, I have been involved uh, in missions for a number of years, primarily in Asia, uh, going all the way back to my first trip in the summer of uh, 2002. And so I've been involved since the early 2000s, uh, going on almost 20 years now of, of ministry in Asia, uh, most recently pastoring in, in China uh, for the past six years, just moved back in, in May. And I'm now in, as he said, at Delray Baptist Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Our church sends its greetings to you as well. One of my good friends during that time that I was pastoring in Asia happened to also be the the director in our city for a very large, well-known international missions organization. And just several years ago, he was called to attend a, a global gathering of all of the kind of major city directors from this global missions organization that, that he was a part of, and he led that in our city, and he was called to, to gather together with these other city directors, and it was just a handful of guys, I think maybe five or six in the room, but uh, more than 60 million people were represented just in their cities, and not to mention uh, all the people that are represented in the surrounding areas that they were trying to, to minister to, where they lived, and they were coming together for a, a meeting to, uh, to talk shop, to, to share vision, to talk about strategy, to uh, encourage one another in the work that they were doing. Well, the question was asked, what is your vision for your city over the next five years? So what is your vision for your city over the next five years? One city director from Central Asia got up and explained that the, their vision for their city was to plant thousands of churches in their city over the next five years. Another city director stood up and explained how their vision was to plant hundreds of churches in their city over the next five years, as well as a, a Bible college and, and several institutes that they were seeking to begin. Finally, it was my friend's turn representing our city which was by far the, the largest of all of these cities that were there. And he stood up and he said, our goal over the next five years is to plant three healthy churches. Maybe five. Let's say three to five healthy churches over the next five years. There, there was an audible gasp in the room. 
Maybe a, 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 some laughter or, or, or two from some of the people in the room. What do you think of that approach? Saying that less may be more for the least reached. Strategizing for fewer churches that are good churches to the glory of God. Well, I'm 100% on board with his approach and the approach that we were taking in our city. Call them what you will, deep churches, stable churches, churches with a longevity to them, healthy churches, good churches, sustainable churches, anchored churches. Feel free to pick the name, but this morning I want to argue that good churches and good missions are inseparable. So good churches and good missions are inseparable. And we're going to look at that passage that Cricket just read for us, Acts chapter 14. We're going to take this as our text this morning, Acts chapter 14, verses 19 to 28. So if you have a copy of God's Word there with you, I invite you to, to turn there with me to Acts 14, 19 to 28. I, I won't read it again as Cricket just read it for us. But as we walk through this passage, I, I want to show three things towards this end of seeing that good churches uh, and good missions are inseparable. One, good churches are the means of world missions. Number two, good churches are the method of world missions. And number three, good churches are the end of world missions. Good churches are, are the means of world missions. Good churches are the method of world missions. And good churches are the end of world missions. So our first point, good churches are the means of world missions. Our, our passage, if you look at your text, Acts 14 Starting in verse 19, we're, we're picking up uh, with Paul and Barnabas kind of on the, uh, during Paul's first missionary journey, and, and we've just kind of airdropped into the, to the very tail end of, of this first missionary journey that Paul and Barnabas uh, are on together. And if you look at verse 26, you'll see Paul and Barnabas heading back down to Antioch. Now, that may be a little bit confusing in this passage because Antioch, they, they just came from Antioch, and yet they're going to Antioch. Well, there were two Antiochs. Uh, so there was the Pisidian Antioch, a little bit to the north, uh, where they had min, uh, visited and done ministry. But they are, they are sailing down to, to Antioch in Syria, uh, which was their sending church, their home church that they were returning to. So just to clear up any confusion about the, the multiple Antiochs there. So they're headed back down to Antioch because back in Acts 13, Acts 13 verse 1 and following, we, we see that they are actually sent out from the church at Antioch at the beginning of Acts 13. And so if you look at verse 26, Acts 14, verse 26, they go back down to Antioch. It says, where they had been commended by the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. So they had a job, they had a task, they had a role, they had a church that was overseeing their work and that had sent them out and commended them for a work, a work that they had then accomplished and returned to their sending church down there in Antioch. And, and then when they get there, if you look at verses 27 and 28, they, they have a missions conference. In verses 27 and 28, so they, they arrive and it says they, they gathered the church together and they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. And so they gathered together and they, the church hears a report of what God has done, much as we're doing this weekend of uh, seeing videos and uh, Zoom calls with missionaries around the world to hear reports of what God is doing in their midst as well. So church, I don't know your perspective on the Apostle Paul and how you think of his missionary journeys, but Paul 
and his famed missionary journeys, he, he was not just a free agent kind of bouncing around the Mediterranean, Mediterranean world doing whatever he wanted to do. Paul was set apart by, commissioned by, supported by his home church in Antioch. And when his mission trip was over, what does he do? He goes back to Antioch, and the church gathers together to hear an update from the field, and it says he remained no little time with the disciples there. First of all, good churches are the means of world missions. The church at Antioch was the engine that propelled Paul and Barnabas to the field and then received them back. And listen, I'm not just cherry-picking this verse here as an example. It wasn't just his local church in Antioch that was a, a means to world missions, but it's all of the churches that we see in the New Testament. Paul wrote to the church at Rome, and it was his vision that the church at Rome would actually be the engine that would send him on to Spain. The book of Philippians, Paul writes basically a thank you letter to the local church at Philippi, thanking them for their support and his mission. 1 Corinthians, we see, uh, and actually in the letters of, to the Corinthians that we have, 1 and 2 Corinthians, we see uh, their work as a local church supporting the work that is going on elsewhere in the Christian world at the time. In the New Testament, you see local churches as means for world missions. Now listen, th this is important or instructive for us for, for at least two reasons. First, this is where churches like First Evangelical Church have played and by grace will continue to play a key role for reaching the least reached around the globe. Listen, I, some of the things that, that I've just been encouraged by this weekend, this church has 30-some missionaries. A third of those grew up here at this church. A third of 30-some missionaries grew up at this church. I, I don't know if, if you realize how rare that is among churches that send a, a large amount of missionaries. That is, that is not a common thing. This church is responsible for seeing an unreached people group that's now reached. Do you realize how, how crazy that is? That is not a common thing for a church to be able to say. And so God has used this church in his kindness to be a, a means of world missions. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And so this church is to be commended towards that end. That is a praiseworthy thing. And so as we sing these songs of praise and hear these updates, I hope that there's a, a gratefulness and a gratitude that wells up within you for, for being able to be here in this moment in history and to see this and to be a part of this as a member of First Evangelical Church. Another reason that this is helpful to, to see that, that local churches are the means of world missions is that this helps us to see that out there on the mission field, there need to likewise be good churches that will function as the, the same means to furthering the mission of God in other parts of the world. And this is why even the, the videos we see hearing from Pradeep and, and seeing uh, the, their desire along that, the, uh, the Mekong River to, to see churches planted that would then further the work that is going on. This is what local churches are to be doing. Now listen, a couple caveats. I'm not saying that's the only reason that local churches exist to be kind of platforms and springboards for missions. It's not. There's other reasons that the local church exists. And I'm also not saying that there aren't non-church or parachurch organizations that are doing good work in global missions. There are plenty of them that are doing good work in global missions. So I'm not saying either of those two things. 
but I'm arguing that the biblical example seems clear that if we're talking about world mission, if we're talking about reaching the least reached, then we must see and value and love and platform and celebrate and cherish how local churches are to be the means for good mission happening around the world. It's a biblical concept. Okay, so how does a local church do this well? Well, look look back at Acts chapter 13. Look back there and see what happened at Antioch. Acts chapter 13. It says now, this is the, uh, verse 1. Now then, there were in the church at Antioch prophets, teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So you see what, what was going on at the church in Antioch before Paul became the famous missionary Paul. The church was gathered together just doing church stuff. The church was gathered together, worshiping the Lord, fasting. Paul was just a number of other key leaders that they had at the church. And they're worshiping the Lord together, fasting, and the Holy Spirit speaks into that situation and calls and sets apart Paul and Barnabas for this work. Church, the, the, the local church is the assembling together of the people of God, a, a specific people of God, visible, physical. I know we, we talk about the universal church that we're going to see gathered around the throne in Revelation 7. That's true. That's a thing. But that universal church is made visible and physical in local gatherings like First Evangelical Church. So the local church is where Christians gather together for the, uh, the, the right teaching of God's word, for the right administration of the sacraments, baptism and communion, and for church discipline where we protect gospel proclamation and gospel purity, our life and our doctrine. That's what you see with a local church, and that, that, that is what they are doing in the book of Acts. You have a local church gathered together doing those things together, and out of that, out of that, uh, atmosphere out of that situation God launches a missionary movement so church the church is worshiping and after the Holy Spirit makes it clear that Paul and Barnabas are to be set apart the the church fasts and prays commissions them sends them off and then back in Acts 14 we see that they receive them back when they return to to Antioch and the church gathers together to hear what God has done And if you just look at those two paragraphs, they're sending off and they're receiving back, you get quite a bit of help towards seeing how the local church should be, a a good local church should be a means in the role in world missions. First, just do what good churches do. Missions isn't the only thing of value. So it's not not that we're doing nothing good if we're not talking about missions all the time. And we don't want to ignore that and have that removed out of our minds. We want that to be uh, forefront in our minds. But the local church is doing many good things, even if we're not talking specifically about sending missionaries. The church gathers to sing the word and to pray the word together and to hear the word taught and to respond to it and mull it over and to think about it together. Uh, The church uh, grows in theological depth with one another as we learn from uh, qualified teachers in this church who want to train you in understanding doctrine and theology. The church disciples one another, seeing uh, uh, each other grow in godliness and holiness before the Lord. The church helps one another fight sin and pursue purity together. 
The church encourages one another, forgives one another when somebody crosses you, uh, seeks reconciliation and forgiveness whenever somebody says something you do, you, that you don't like. It seeks unity together whenever people believe things differently than you. That is the work that the church is doing, and that is good work. And anytime you're doing that good work, you are building and, and breeding, kind of creating this breeding ground for good mission to then happen. So be encouraged, First Evangelist, just doing what the church does, gathering together, encouraging one another, living out all the one another's that we see in Scripture. Just being a good church is the foundation and the building block that we see here in Acts and we see elsewhere throughout the New Testament and throughout history. Out of that context, God then brings people to go to world mission. So church health, being a good church, creates an atmosphere where you can pray that God would give good workers and then set those good workers apart, assess them, evaluate them, pray for them, send them off, support them, receive them back, hear updates, refresh them, and then send them again. Good churches are the means for world mission. Number two, good churches are the method of world missions. Good churches are the method of world missions. Back in our passage in Acts chapter 14, if you would go back there, I want you to note that what it is that Paul did is a function of his ministry. Now, first of all, he's, we're sidestepping this amazing fact that he's almost executed. They think he's dead, and he gets back up and goes back into the city. It's one of my favorite kind of scenes in the book of Acts. We're, for our purposes, we're going we're to sidestep that amazing fact for the moment. But he goes back in, and, and it says after the disciples gather around him in verse 20, and when it says disciples there, don't think the former, formal sense of the 12 disciples, they weren't with Paul on this missionary journey. Um, and, and disciples, as it's being used at this point in Acts, is just talking about Christians who are, who are the Christians in churches or followers of Christ. And so some disciples, some Christians gather around Paul. He's revived and he continues on his mission. But look at Acts 14.21. Acts 14.21, when they had preached the gospel to that city and they had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium, and to Antioch. So he continues to preach the gospel and to, to make disciples. This is the commission that Jesus gave to the church in Matthew chapter 28. And then in, in verse 22, he is strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. That's what he's doing. That, that's what he's doing as a part of his, the function of his ministry and his missionary journeys. He is strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. But church, don't, don't miss this. Those disciples are part of local churches. Those, those disciples are all in local churches. And so by strengthening those disciples, Paul is strengthening local churches. Look at Acts chapter 11, verse 26. This is, this is how the word is being used at this point in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 11, verse 26. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. The disciples are in the church at Antioch. To, to be a disciple is to be in a local church, a part of a local church. You, you, you see it again in Acts chapter 14, verses 21 and 23. They're talking about the disciples. When he had preached the gospel in that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples. And then by the time you get down to verse 23, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church... So again, we see, we see the connection of disciples who are in the church. Verse, chapter 14, verse 27 and 28... And when they had arrived, they gathered the church together and declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. 
Those disciples are in the local church. They're at Antioch. So disciples and churches, Paul strengthening disciples, meaning he's strengthening those churches as well. We're talking this weekend about reaching the least reached, and we want to see the least reached reached. And I'm not sure anybody wanted that more than the Apostle Paul. We see that throughout his writings and his perspective. Nobody wanted that more than the Apostle Paul. But note his care to make sure that they were good, healthy, stable, continuing churches where he did his mission work. That's what he wanted. He strengthened the disciples. He strengthened the churches. He made sure, verse 23, that there were qualified elders in all of these churches, a plurality of elders. He wanted to make sure that it wasn't just this little small group that was started over here, and we're going to call that a church, and we're going to move on to the next city because it's now reached. No, he strengthened those churches, and he made sure there were elders in those churches. He wanted to make sure they were good churches, sustainable Paul will later write, what does that mean that he appointed elders? He writes letters later to Timothy and to Titus to say, when you're appointing elders, these are the qualifications. So it's not just you grab somebody and say, hey, here's a Bible, you're in charge. No, these these leaders need to meet certain qualifications. So this is slow, careful, intentional work. And Paul says, listen, if I'm going to be doing missions out here, I'm going to be, I'm sent by a church, and then as I'm out in the field, I want to make sure there are good local churches planted with qualified biblical leadership in place. I want to see that before I move on. Paul's goal was not to start a small Bible study and move on so he could make sure he started 10,000 Bible studies all over the Mediterranean. You won't find that anywhere in Paul's ministry. His goal was not to dip into a place for a minute, see a few converts, and then check it off the list so it's no longer unreached, it's reached, and then move on. He worked to see them strengthened and healthy. Seeing good churches in place was a large part of his methodology. This is why, I mean, this is all over the New Testament if you have an eye to see it. This is why he sent Timothy to Ephesus. This is why he sent Titus to Crete. This is why he's, he's, uh, he's, he wants them to put things in proper order to ensure proper leadership, to plant and strengthen local churches. Now again, if the Lord gives a, a, a large harvest in his, his providence, praise God. If, if God gives many disciples and he starts to do work faster than maybe what we thought, that, praise God and let's try to meet that need and make sure there's, there's elders and qualified leadership to, to help um, uh, shepherd and to minister the word and prayer and that there's deacons in place to serve. So praise God if he gives more. But when we're talking about strategy and we're talking about methodology, Paul's strategy and methodology, good churches were the plan. Good, healthy, stable, proper leadership, doing what a church does. That's, that's the play that Paul's running. These good churches then will be the means and the method for furthering the gospel in that area. The church in Ephesus. Remember the the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians? It's It's the local church with the leaders that God has given the local church that is going to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Remember, Paul went through Ephesus on his missionary journeys, and then he writes a letter back to them, and he says, listen, church at Ephesus, first of all, in Ephesians chapter 3, it's in the church that God is displaying his glory to the nations. His manifold wisdom is being made known through the local church. And then chapter 4 of Ephesians, uh, it, is, it is the church and the leaders that God has gifted to the church who are going to equip the saints for the work of ministry. 
So do you want to see saints equipped in some corner of the earth? How is God going to equip those saints to do the work of ministry in, in whatever uh, unreached place? Well, it's going to be a local church that God puts there with qualified biblical leadership who are going to have those leaders who are going to train the people to do good work in that place. That's what Paul is writing to Ephesus. Church in Galatia, if we read the letter to the Galatians, shows that doctrine will be clarified and guarded in and through the local church. Paul gets on the local church in Galatia for quickly abandoning the truth that they had once believed and believing a different gospel. He is, he is uh, rebuking the church there for, for uh, holding to different uh, gospels and, and, and venturing off. And so he wants the church to be a place where uh, doctrine and theology is guarded. First Corinthians, you see that, that purity of life is, and unity in the church, is, is that's, that's, or unity among Christians, that is something that is to be, to be valued and guarded in the local church. That's why in 1 Corinthians 5, when you have this man who is caught in gross immorality, it's the church that acts and the church that removes him from its fellowship so that he is delivered over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that he might repent and come back. Again, no local church with, with, with no uh, communion and the Lord's Supper where they are gathering and the right teaching of God's Word. I don't know what you do with that man in 1 Corinthians 5. It is in and through local churches that the, the, this is the methodology of Paul's mission. So listen, if you're a First Evan missionary who's streaming this right now or watching this later and you, you've spent some time laboring in one place with one group for a while now, doing the slow work of trying to establish some order and structure and leadership and health in these churches that you're involved in, that is a good work that you're doing. Press on and do not grow weary in doing that work. That is a good work. Don't be tempted to chase the numbers that you might see around you on the mission field. You don't, want to need, you don't want to have that of chasing numbers and, and uh, feeling like you've, you have to meet these quotas that other people are meeting. Now, neither do you not want your, church, your, your work to be either your work personally or work that you're uh, planting to be connected to the local church either. But you don't want to chase numbers. And, and I think this less is more concept is helpful right here in Memphis as well. If you're just thinking about this and how to apply this concept even in your own life and, and, and ministry, grand visions for reaching the city, I don't know what that does to you. This kind of makes my head swim. Like, reach the city? My goodness, how am I going to reach the city? Why don't you start with your neighbor? Why don't you start just building deep relationships with a couple people on your street? I'd rather see every family at First Advance say, listen, I'm just going to, we're going to target two people on our block and we're going to build relationships and go deep and, have, and practice biblical hospitality and have them over and serve them and meet their needs and pray for them and, and get to know them. We're going to do that. Give me everybody doing that versus people saying, we're going to transform the whole city of Memphis. No, you're not. Start with your neighbors. Well, we're going to I work in finance, and we're, we really want to redeem the world of finance, and we want to see the, the world of finance change for the glory of God. Well, good luck. Why don't you start with the guy at the cubicle next to you? Get to know him. Get to know her. Go deep and see them strengthening in healthy local churches. I've heard it said that Christianity is not a come-and-see religion, but a go-and-tell religion. That's a, a common thing. I've, I've probably said it myself, and some point, it's not come and see, it's go and tell. 
I think the Apostle Paul would say, why choose? What false dichotomy? Why are we picking between those two things? If your local church doesn't have something to come and see, your going and telling is going to be really flimsy. That's why good local churches are the methodology for reaching the world. We have something for people to come and see. We have a glorious Savior. We have a beautiful gospel. We have true freedom. We have true life. We know that there, uh, there, there is more to this life than trying to do good things to try to earn God's favor like every other world religion will tell you to do. We have a religion that doesn't say, yeah, you work your way halfway up to God or do enough things and God's going to come down and save you and get you. No, we have a good news that says you are uh, dead in your trespasses and, and your sins, but God made you alive in Christ Jesus. So for anybody who repents of their sins and trusts in Christ, that is what saves you. That is a beautiful gospel. That is good news. That's why we gather and sing. We're not just doing busy work here this morning. We're coming because that good news, that gospel is glorious, and that is what saves people. And we want to come and we want to sing that. We want to pray that. We want to preach that. We want to encourage each other with that. We have something to come and see. And if we don't have something to come and see, we have nothing to go and tell. The good churches will be the methodology for reaching the world. Number three, briefly, good churches are the end of world missions. Good churches are the end of world missions. Now, there, there's two ways to think about this. And the first way would get me in, in some trouble with all the missionaries out there. So I'll just I'll say this one briefly and we'll allow conversations to happen. Uh, two ways to think about this. One, one temporal and one eternal. One earthly and one heavenly. So first, in, in a temporal sense, if there are good churches, leadership, Proper leadership in place, healthy churches, solid biblical doctrine, uh, holding to, to good biblical theology, stability in the church, gathered around the preaching of God's word and the right administration of the ordinances. And any area that, that, that you have that and you have a lot of that, well, it ceases to be an unreached place and is moving towards being a reached place. I said that's going to get me in trouble with missionaries because there's thousands of pages and thousands of gallons of ink spilled on when is a place actually reached? Is it 2%? Is it 5%? Is it 10%? Uh, at what point do, 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 we, do we say, okay, we're going to move missionaries out of that? Is, is the only good work reaching them? Is it, is it proper for missionaries to stay there and to try to teach and train? It's a huge debate in the missions world, but I'm, I'm just saying that as we are seeing good churches planted in places, we, I think at the least we can say we're moving toward the end of missions in that place and not further away from it. I hope that doesn't get me in trouble to say that. But then there's another reason why. A second eternal heavenly perspective. And I think that's here in our text. Look at Acts 14, verse 22. Acts 14, 22. And when, and I'm sorry, that was verse 23. So verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Paul is strengthening these disciples in this church toward an end, toward a goal. He's preparing them for a rough road of persecution that lies ahead through which they will enter the kingdom of God. Hebrews chapter 12 picks up this idea of this kingdom of God, and listen to how Hebrews chapter 12 des describes this kingdom. You have come to Mount Zion. To, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the assembly, the ecclesia, same word where we get the word church, a church is an assembly, 
And so the author of Hebrews is saying, you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of God, to the, the great assembly, that assemblies like this one this morning are a mere shadow and cause us to long for the true heavenly uh, assembly of everybody. This is a small church. That's the big church. This is the local visible church. That's the universal church. So the author of Hebrews says, this is the vision that you've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to Jesus, the the mediator of a new covenant. All of our churches today are local, visible, temporal, outposts, embassies of this one universal, eternal gathering, eternal church. Our churches now are our foretaste of what we'll experience then. So first of all, love, value, invest in good local churches. This one and others that we're involved in around the world. They are the end of world missions. Whether we see that temporarily, that we want to plant good churches around the world, or whether we see the end of world missions as being that we will finally be with King Jesus as one assembly gathered around his throne. The church is the end of world missions in that sense. Our local churches, good churches, now prepare us for the eternal assembly to come. I wanted to impress upon you this morning a love for the local church and a vision for how God intends good churches and good missions to be inseparable. They are the means, the method, and the end of world missions in reaching the unreached. Let's pray for his grace and strengthening as we're involved in that mission. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray for your grace and your strengthening for this church specifically for First Evangelical Church and their involvement around the world. We pray for uh, missionaries now who are certainly weary, as all of us are weary, just with, with what this year has brought us. Imagine what our missionaries around the world and how weary they are with travel restrictions and with uh, lockdowns, as, as we heard earlier. God, would you give much grace and strengthening by your spirit and through your church? God, we pray that you would continue to, to use this church as a, a springboard, as a training ground, as a supporter of good missions around the world. And we pray that this church itself would continue to hold to doctrinal fidelity as it has up to this day, would continue to hold to the biblical gospel as it has to this day. And would the members of this church support and be encouraged by and celebrate that in this good local church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.